Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. This is Joey. Am I Stefan? I am Stefan. My name is Paul. On this episode, the crew talks about writing a story by going back to the place it happened. But first, Jet shares her story. I was eight years old holding my mom's hand at the hospital when the doctor said the baby is blue. Blue? Blue as a blueberry, an older cousin chimed in. I looked up at my mom. Her face changed from excitement to worry as she said, blue? What? What does that mean? My heart raced. Is the baby okay? Why is it blue? Can I help? The doctor said, we don't know yet. It was a long birth and the doctors are running tests. She's tired. My mom met me at eye level. You probably have a little too much energy for her right now. I know you are excited, but how about visiting another time? You'll see her soon. I nodded as we left the hospital. I wondered what a blue baby would look like and when I would see it. Two weeks later at a family gathering, I glimpsed the baby. It was a boy, Jonathan. I saw him being cradled and being passed slowly and gingerly from adult to adult, hovering way above my eye level. My sister said, I know you want to hold him, but maybe another time? My mom whispered in my ear, she's a new mom and it was a difficult birth. She's going to be very protective for a while. Then a few weeks later, the moment came. I was by my sister's house and she said, do you want to hold him? I slowly nodded. Um, okay, sit down first, she said. I sat on a couch. Uh, Sit further back on the couch, she said. I pushed myself up so my back dug deep into the cushions and she lowered him down. You have to support his neck and try not to move around too much. Finally, he was in my arms and I could see he looked like a human smurf. A fart noise. He went flying two inches above the air, above my arms and quickly fell back into my arms. I looked up at my sister, eyes wide thinking, oh no, I failed. You're going to take him back, aren't you? She chuckled. It's okay. That was a fart. And good thing I told you to sit back in the chair, she said as she looked at my mom. I took a deep breath, smiled, and looked down at his brown eyes. And where eyes are usually white, his eyes were partly blue. Why is he so blue, I asked. Is it? It's like a birthmark. The doctor said it'll fade with time and he's healthy. Are you excited to be an aunt? Yes, I nodded, and I silently made a promise, whispering to my nephew. I don't know you right now, but I will get to know you, and I will make sure I am someone in your life who always lets you know that you are loved, just like I always know my big sister is there for me and loves me. I was eight years old, and my sister was 26. A little bit later in the day, after seeing siblings argue on TV sitcoms, my brother and I were asking, Mommy and daddy, who is your favorite child? My brother and I started only somewhat jokingly asking my parents the same question over and over. We tried to wear them out to tell the truth by repeating the question, but we always got, we both love you equally. You are different people. There is no comparison. Meh, we weren't satisfied with the answer. So we turned to each other. Do you like me the most out of our four siblings? My brother and I said, I like you, but... We both agreed our older sister was our favorite, but we liked each other second best. 
As far as I was concerned, I was my sister's number one super fan and my brother was number two. I would help her any way I can. And at eight years old, the only thing I could do best was showing love to my nephew the way she showed love to me. A few weeks later, my brother and I were playing when my parents called us to the office desk in the living room. My mom sat in front of the computer as my dad stood up, leaning on the shelving which framed the desk. We're going to play a game. You're going to help us figure this out, he said. Sit down, he instructed. My brother and I sat on the other side of the L-shaped desk in the two seats usually used by customers. This was before smartphones, before everyone had a cell, before advanced online maps. In 1998, less than 10% of households had the internet. We are trying to find a way to get new customers and grow the business, he said. My mom said, a customer gets off the plane. What do they do next? My brother and I thought, go to their hotel, my brother said, as he swung his hanging feet, sitting in the chair. But how do they get there, my dad asked. A taxi, I said. But those aren't our clients, my mom said. Our clients are looking for cars and a place to stay. Um, they'd go to the car rental place in the airport, I said. Yes, but we can't afford to have a booth in the car rental. It doesn't make financial sense to have a booth there with staff all of the time. We don't have enough cars to rent yet to make our money back. So how can we get tourists at the airport? How would they know that we exist? My dad said. My brother shouted, they'd need a map. My mom nodded. We could see if we could get on the island map. The map was a colorful paper map, a bright flamingo pink, like our national bird, and with vibrant greens and blues, which was offered for free tourists as a guide to the main attractions and resources. It was printed once or maybe a few times a year in bulk and given away at airports and hotels. We had some on hand to offer to tourists. My mom pulled out the brochure size map and unfolded it until it was full size covering most of the desk in front of my brother and me. We would need to stand out, my mom said. That evening, my mom and dad leaned over their L-shaped computer desk and taught my brother and I lessons on marketing, even though it slowed them down. 15 years later, I laid on the imitation wood vinyl floor and a weight collapsed on my chest in a new country by myself. Tears ran from my eyes down to the corners, tickling the little triangle part of my ear before quietly dripping on the floor. How am I going to get out of this? Where do I start? Who do I call? What do I do? And why does it hurt so much? My fingertips pressed the firm floor it felt like the only thing stopping me from falling. I had just returned to Canada after taking care of my mom after the robbery where she was stabbed and lived. I was back to my job with my prejudice supervisor. I had some family and a few close friends, but they were all hundreds or thousands of miles away. I asked myself, what am I doing with my life? Like, why am I here? My stomach churned. I was 22 and thought, if the next 40 years of my life are going to be like the last 10, if it doesn't get any better, what's the point? I wanted advice. I thought of drugs, alcohol. I Googled how to make the pain go away. But I kept hearing my mom's voice. You have to find healthy coping mechanisms. And my dad's voice, alcohol or drugs numbs problems. If you ever get in trouble, just remember it doesn't solve anything. They both worked so hard to give me opportunities, but somehow I was struggling. 
I didn't want to dishonor them, their effort and hard work, everything they've given me. I tried to treat my problems like math and remove my feelings out of the equation. To deal with the pain, I said to myself, I will take a step each day, another day will come, and eventually tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow will be better. If I made a plan to solve every problem in my life, I just had to believe wholeheartedly in the plan. I wrote down everything I wanted to change. On days where I could bear to admit it to myself, I wrote in an art book how I was feeling. A week or so later, I'd read it like a friend was telling me their problem. I'd give myself advice on what to research. I'd write down the advice in the same book to see if it made sense in another week. When I am depressed or stressed, it's hard to think clearly. I question my decisions. I question my ability to filter good advice from bad advice. When I was a kid and had a problem, my dad would say, think, Georgette, think. Now, what should you do next, he would say, and why? Why is always important. You should always ask yourself why. And then tell me what you need. Then finally, he would end with, okay, now you have a plan. Go and execute. Let me know how it goes and if you need help. Solving a problem was always a matter of understanding how to pull the right resources together. But this time, I had no clue where to start. I wish I had someone to bounce ideas off of or chat to. Pain and silence are a lethal combination. And without knowing who or how to talk about myself or my experience, I chose to stay quiet. And without realizing it, I silenced myself. I was quiet at dinner with friends, at networking events, after shaking hands with a stranger, at meetings at work, unless I had to speak. Silence traps pain inside you. Silence also traps your story inside of you but so much of your power lies within your story. As I opened my black hardcover oversized sketchbook I used as a diary, I read over what I had written down in each day since I had made the promise to give advice to myself. I realized that every day I was telling myself a lie. Memories came flooding of the sister who loved me, which made me love my nephews, of the parents who loved her, which made her love me, of the lessons I was taught by my parents, my sister, my nephews, and by all the friends I had made since moving to Canada. And then I realized I had made a mistake. I told myself I was alone on my journey. I could never be alone because love transfers. I was feeling alone because I wasn't talking to the people who loved me. I thought I had to be strong and to do it on my own. I wasn't letting love transfer because I was trapping myself in my silence. All right, this, this is great. Let's do we're, it. We're nailing it. Do we introduce ourselves or not? Thanks, Jet, for your story. We're here today to talk about storytelling. It's uh, it's been a while since we've done this, so I think we, uh, you know, we're we're just we're getting back into it. But in in terms of this wonderful story that we just heard, what uh, what what are we what are we thinking about talking about on this episode? We're talking about places, places and spaces. We like that. I like places and spaces. Uh, um, so so let me ask everybody a question. So let's say you're writing a story because. I guess one of the, what we're basically wanting to talk about or, or think about is um, is when you're writing a story, whether it's from the past or you know whenever, but it takes place maybe in a specific place or the place itself is actually really important to the story. Different ways to get a 
you know, kind of think back about that place and, and really write almost from that place and be able to represent it the way that you want to and, you know, kind of make it almost, sometimes it could become a character almost in the, in the story. But uh, how, if either of you or both of you or none of you have um, had a story like this where you're writing in a specific place, uh, why don't we go through some things that, is, that have helped us uh, to write these kind of things. So what, what, uh, what kind of things have helped you uh, write about places and spaces? Given how, what percentage of this you know, happened so far back, you know, when she was eight years old, the, I think there's a part of this that you do have to sort of get people, not even just back into the space itself, but you have to sort of make sure the space also in some ways matches the time. And it's like, it's not just enough to sort of explain uh, how, a, how a space might look, but you also need to find a way to sort of get that sort of sense of, of when it was as well, uh, or at least, or maybe, or more specifically, actually perhaps from a storytelling perspective, how you personally experience the space. Because your experience of a space when you're eight is very different from your experience when you're an adult, right? What you pay attention to is different. What you look at is different. How you remember the space, what is interesting to you and what is not interesting to you is likely quite different. And so I think when you're telling this sort of story that is, you know, that's throwing back to a previous time and you're trying to follow it forward, number one advice that we, that we often give and that I think remains thing is trying to get back into your headspace of that time and just trying to like look back out at the space through your eyes from when the story was happening. You know, look around, what's around you? What do you remember? What elicits emotion? Because I'm sure people have experienced this thing where they think back and they're like, oh yeah, that one chair, I really like that chair, you know, or something like that. Like everyone has these different things that at a certain time in their life in certain space was the thing that for them that really, really mattered to them. Trying to write from the perspective of yourself back then uh, really lets you flesh it out in a way that sort of gets both a sense of time as well as a sense of place because it sort of, it, it really embeds you in your brain at that moment. I think that ends up being quite key. Stefan, are you thinking of like a mnemonic device? So like things that help you remember something, whatever the thing is. Cause I'm, I'm also thinking of it um, in terms of, uh, and going on, going off a little bit more, what you're saying is like thinking of it through also the senses. So specifically about like taste, touch, sound, smell, and sometimes having a trick to get you back into it. Cause sometimes it can be really tricky, especially, you know, if you're thinking about trying to talk about something that happened in childhood, like how do you bring yourself back to that if that happened so long ago? If you're fortunate and you kept a journal, you can always go back and look at these things. Because even if say you didn't talk about like the, the color of paint of a room or like the smell of the room, something that you wrote about might have might still trigger that sense memory. Um, and then you can you can go from there. Yeah, I, it's funny. I literally was thinking that that concept sense memory in because, you know, it's a thing that actors use sometimes and so on is to it does a few things that we've talked about before or it's related, I think, of almost that using that sense memory of kind of going back in your imagination and almost what it, what did it feel like in your body and like all of the things that are using all of those things to, to try and create that sort of more three-dimensional picture. For sure. Like I, I, the thing I think about constantly with this, it's so funny. I don't think I've ever said this out loud to anybody before, but 
anytime I smell matches, like the, the smell of, you know, of, of striking the, the, um, the wick on the thing and it lights a fire and you blow it out. And that smell of the matches reminds me of every single family birthday party that we always had at this one aunt, this one aunt's house. And she, I remember always sitting on the counter and uh, this one particular birthday cake that we always got for everybody in the family from Jeannie's Bakery. <laughs> and every time I smell a match that brings you back to there. And so like trying to find something like that, that can bring you into whatever the story is, makes it all the more powerful and, um, and has us all go there, right there with you when you can describe all those fine details. Yeah, and it, the details are so important and it's what's a great, to kind of combine this with some other stuff that we've said, like what Stefan was saying about writing it all out and everything is, I think it's great to start with just going back and like using those sense memories and thinking about like just writing out and trying to remember uh, all the details you can, because then, like we said before, that they can then maybe unlock other details that were going on. But then you can, when you go to actually kind of craft the story a little bit, you have all these details that you can pick and choose that because we don't want to just have all these details and all of this stuff if you can pick more meaningful ones like what you just I saw what you just described you, the way the you know being able to specifically name the bakery and the the kind of things that I can see that a picture gets created but then you can pick and choose what details are the most important for like say crafting the actual story of it later on Right. Yeah. I'm mean, even just writing out a list like and, and like you're saying, like you're not going to use everything in the list, but think of it really in, you know, if you're trying to describe a story that takes place in a particular room, actually just writing out all the details you can think of and then deciding what pieces actually go into building the story. Having that allows in and just sort of doing that exercise allows you to not just find a way to best describe the experience from your from your own experience perspective, but then as Paul mentioned, it also can help with symbolism. You know, like if you do have this one thing, you know, like Joey, your example of, of this birthday cake, you know, from all of us in the same place, you know, that tells you something about y this childhood, right? Like it, it, you can, it, it becomes useful, not just in a, oh, this is what it felt like to be in this moment. It can also then become useful in a longer type of stretch of like, here's this conversation, you know, and then, and then, and then it becomes like, maybe the purpose is that you're trying to make is that like, you know, your family wasn't that creative about your birthdays. What does that mean, right? Like it, it becomes a symbolic as well as uh, descriptive. What would what what would we say to somebody that is wanting to write a story that kind of is takes you know is taking place in a specific place or 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 space? There's two things that. I would suggest is the first thing that I would suggest if somebody is writing, wanting to write a story like this is to, if it's possible, ideally, to be able to go to the actual space, the actual place where it takes place, where it takes place. I'm saying place way too many times, but just be able to go there. Like that would be the best thing to like, just be able to go and sit in it. But if they, if you can't for, for whatever reason, um, you might live in a different country or you might, it might not be there anymore or whatever is to just to me what's always been helpful is sort of what joey was talking about in the sense memory thing of kind of going back in your imagination and just sort of like sitting in like imagining you're back in that place if uh 
it's good and healthy for you. And um, to just kind of record all of those details as much as you can and then be able to pick and choose them. So that's where I, that's what I would say. What, what, would, the, what would both of you say to a person writing a story like this? First jump in on what you just said about if it's healthy for you. And, and just, I'm gonna spend a minute on that note because a lot of the stories um, that we might end up working on are actually describing experiences that might be rather difficult. And so first and foremost, protect yourself. And if it's too intense to actually imagine yourself in that space, then perhaps don't. But let's assume that it is safe enough to do that. And then 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 do that. So yeah, so, that, so then the, the thing I will then suggest, um, which I think has been suggested before in a couple other podcasts and other ways we've done this, but is to find other ways you might be able to get insights into those moments. You know, whether it's asking someone else who was there, because like that's that's happened to me in some stories where I've had a whole narrative of how a story went. And then I've talked to someone else who's there, especially when you're a kid and they've told you something else that sort of changes your understanding. I don't, like, I, like, I think I, I, I either began or finished writing a story many years ago in which it was based off what I thought was a dream only to have my mom say it was probably not a dream and actually something that had happened to me, which like totally messed with my head because I'd spent my entire life presuming that this was like a dream I, I had. Um, and then the and then the second of uh, uh, is if you can, it, the most helpful obviously is if you can find something of yourself that was there, you know, whether or not it's like, obviously Joey mentioned earlier, journals are obviously the best option, but anything really, right? Like if you could find, you know, an email you sent to other people about you know, that was going on at the same time, right? If you can find, honestly, even like grade school things you were writing at the time, that might be helpful to trigger your memory, right? Any anything that sort of gets you back into your memory at that moment, because that's also been surprising for me, is when I will I will backcast a, a feel a belief that I've had about a particular time in my life, and then I'll find writing from that time and be surprised at actually how I was feeling about it. And so I think those two things of finding other insights into your head uh, or into the time that you're talking about can be really helpful and you can unlock some things. They also can complicate things as a heads up. You also can end up being like, ah, oh, no, the story I thought I was telling isn't actually the story I have. And that can kind of mess with mess yourself a little bit. But that's, that's my, those are my other ways you could sort of get at these kind of pieces. We want to thank Jet for her a wonderful story, which was told at, the uh, only event that we've done online so far. Well, you, you, say, you say so far, but it's the only one we've done because it was fantastic. And mm -hmm. we, there's no way we, can, we could do better. So not to just, I don't mean that as a braggart kind of way. I mean, that is like a, you know, something to aspire to is just, it went well and we're terrified of it not going well. So now we'll stop because it was perfect. Yeah. And we'll have in-person events coming back as soon as we possibly can. Thank you, Jet, for sharing your story. And thank you for listening to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast. To keep up to date on upcoming events, get your very own copy of the Stories We Don't Tell book and sign up for our newsletter, visit storieswedonttell.org. All music was composed by singer-songwriter Arlene Pakulin. Find her at officialarlene.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to us by 
Joey's cat, Salmon, screaming in the background because he just ate food and he wants her to know about it. <laughs>